0: Australia produces world-class dancers and choreographers that fill dance companies around the globe. In this season of Talking Points, we're bringing you 10 beautifully personal interviews from some of our biggest dance icons. Our guests include Emma Watkins, better known as the wonderful Emma Wiggle.
1: I knew that I was in pain, but I didn't know how bad it was. I just thought that this was,
0: like, female problems. David McAllister former Artistic Director of the Australian Ballet.
2: For me, it was a really great opportunity to really connect with life beyond the ballet company.
0: We're also going to hear from Queensland Ballet's Artistic Director and Mao's last dancer, Lee schwing Sing.
2: I felt
3: like a
0: bird and, you know, I always know for my high jumps, but at that night I felt like I, I didn't want to come down. And Lana Jones, the former principal ballerina now studying to become a midwife.
3: Put me in front of 10,000 people and no
0: problem. Sit me in front of a biology exam and I am a mess. In Talking Points, we're exploring more than dance. We're looking into everything that surrounds dance. Inspiration, regrets, bullying, body image, sexuality, lifelong friendships, retirement and even how to find a new career when the curtains finally close. Today, I'm speaking with the magnificent Emma Watkins, Many of you will know her as the supremely talented Emma Wiggle. Emma grew up like many aspiring dancers, dreaming of becoming a ballerina. But her dreams took an unexpected turn after an injury as a teenager. And as you'll hear, her dreams changed direction, and she embarked on a different journey, one that led her to university, to film editing, and to ultimately becoming the iconic Yellow Wiggle. In this wonderfully generous and personal interview, Emma talks about her years of ballet training in Sydney, How she auditioned to join the Wiggles, first as a dancer, and then being selected to become a Wiggle. But Emma also shares so much more, how she coped with endometriosis while being under intense pressure to be pregnant, the PhD she is studying, her passion for every child to learn Auslan, and what it was like to become the first female Wiggle. You were just so beautifully open with your diagnosis of endometriosis. I think back in 2018 now, you know, from what I know of endometriosis, you can have terrible, you know, cramping and bleeding and that's tough on anyone, let alone someone who has to get up and put on costumes and, and you, know, you know, bring a really energetic and, you know, positive role on stage every day. I was really lucky
1: thinking back, that I made sure my costume had black
0: stockings,
1: (laughs) I'll be honest, as a woman. I I didn't think about it, mm. obviously, but it, it made sense. But I, at the time of the diagnosis, because it was severe and I had to make the decision to have surgery very quickly, it just seemed really appropriate that I would have to explain it sincerely and properly to the audience, not just the children, but the parents as well. And so it really changed everything for me. I think I'd been having that kind of pain since I was about 14. (laughs) So who knows? I, I, you know, I don't know any better.
0: So that just becomes your way of life. Yeah. Yeah. It did become progressively worse.
1: And it was only when it got so bad that I was like, oh, maybe there's something wrong. (laughs) Uh, That's when I, you know, had many, many tests and I tried to see as many different people as I could because I couldn't quite understand um, how something could be so severe and me not understand it or know that it was happening to me. I think there was a sense of denial. I was like, how did I let myself ignore that? And so actually being able to explain to people that I wasn't going to be on the show because I was about to have a surgery and I had endo um, was important because at the time people thought that I was pregnant and it was so far away from that perspective. And that's why I felt that I had to explain it because the pressure on me at that time be pregnant was quite a lot. And so I was like, oh no. <laughs> yeah,
0: this is and if exactly you disappear for six weeks.
1: Exactly. People be like, oh, okay, I see what's happening here. She's pregnant. And I and I I think I was so upset and I was in so much pain with the endo, I don't think I could have handled personally being able to explain myself um, that I wasn't pregnant or listen to that for you know for six weeks. Or and also more. that
0: constant speculation when ex- As you say, you know, not everybody has fertility issues with endometriosis, but it's a possibility. So that dichotomy of that being then possibly reported. I had
1: one moment in particular, during the show, we would go out into the audience and collect the craft that children would bring to the shows. And I was going out to collect something and uh, one of the mothers, she grabbed my arm and she's like, when are you, when are you due? (laughs) And I I think it just caught me by such surprise. I didn't even know what she said to me. I was like, sorry, what? (laughs) She's like, when are you, when are you, you're pregnant, right? And I was looking down at my costume thinking to myself, do I, hang on, do I look, wait, do I look? pregnant or do people think I'm pregnant and it got it got so oh Emma that is just absolutely
0: horrendous
1: well I even had my mum call me my mum my mum called me and she goes are you pregnant I'm like what and I'm like no she goes oh okay because everyone had been reporting about it in media and then people had um messaged my mum saying congratulations no and then mum called me and she's like why wouldn't you tell me I was like I would and I'm not (laughs) pregnant I mean, now, you know, five, de- mm. five years down the track, That's obviously right. I'm not pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Still not. Um, so, you know, endo lives on.
0: Today I'm speaking with Bangara's Associate Artistic Director, the incredible Frances Rings. A descendant of the Kakatha people, Frances was born in Adelaide and spent her childhood travelling, dancing and living all around Australia while her father worked on the railways. However, it was a teacher at her boarding school in Queensland that spotted her talent and encouraged her to audition for NASDA, the National Aboriginal and Islander Skills Development Association. And so, at 18, Frances boarded a Greyhound bus and travelled the 12 hours to Sydney. In this beautifully raw and personal interview, Frances talks about her journey into dance, her incredible career with Bangara, and finding confidence in her own body. But Frances talks about more than that her on-stage connection with the late Russell Page, becoming a mum, and the pressure, but also the importance of not only being a female leader, but a First Nations female leader in dance in Australia. So I wanted to take you back to 17-year-old Frances on the bus from Ipswich, is it? Ipswich to Sydney.
3: Uh, I was, I was, uh, finished my exams and got on the bus to Sydney and, uh, felt this incredible sense of freedom and excitement for this future that I had ahead of me. And when I turned up to NASDA, um I think I was, um, you know, it was a bit of cultural shock actually because, you know, I'd never seen other Indigenous people like this before ever in my life.
0: In, in the sense of dancers or? Oh, just in,
3: in the sense of the diversity of black people that were in that college different cultural backgrounds and all different colours and it was just this incredible rich palette what really struck me was the the confidence that they had that I'd never seen before ever you know that there was no shame people walked around proud and they were you know singing and talking language and that they were you know just openly displaying their sexuality and I mean I came from some you know, little regional towns where I'd never seen anything like that. So I was like, oh my God, this is fantastic. And I think that first week I'd seen my first drag show and I fell in love, like, wow, I just want this <laughs> to be my tribe forever. <laughs> <laughs> and I think all of us came with that same sense of displacement of like, We weren't accepted by our communities and we weren't accepted by, you know, society in the little pocket areas where we're from, from around, you know, regional and remote Australia and metropolitan Australia. And I guess, you know, we found a home and Naizda just accepted the beauty of all of the diverse backgrounds. And if you didn't know your mob, then you were still a part of this incredible clan of young artists.
0: And so you graduate from NASDA and then you are accepted into yeah. Bangara. What, what's that moment like and that experience like being accepted into Bangara?
3: Well, I think people probably think, oh, yeah, yeah Fran would have got in really easy and, you know. Um, I think I thought that. You know, she wouldn't have had to audition. <laughs> it was, it, Stephen gave me the hardest time. Like, I actually had to work my ass off. I had this incredible determination and I worked really hard. But I don't think I was naturally kind of, you know, like I, my body was tight and I put on muscle really easily and I wasn't the most flexible. And, and I used to see, you know, my peers just doing the splits and being able to kind of do these incredible développés, and i just go, oh, I wish I had that flexibility. And I think I was still looking at aesthetic and, you know, the... The shapes and and thinking that I needed to look like
0: these other people. Today I'm speaking with David Hallberg, the brand new artistic director of the Australian Ballet. David was born in a small American town called Rapid City in South Dakota. He started dancing at nine years old after seeing Fred Astaire on the television. And he only started ballet when he was 13. But by 17, he was selected to do a year at the Paris Opera Ballet School before joining his dream company, ABT, the American Ballet Theatre. He rose swiftly through the ranks to principal within four years. And then he was the first American to ever be asked to be a principal with the Bolshoi Ballet, the Russian juggernaut that had previously only accepted Russian-trained dancers. In this wonderfully engaging interview, David talks about his love of dance, Growing up in America and the moment he was first named as a principal. But David also shares some of his darker moments. He talks about bullying and the injury that crippled him for over two years before finally returning to the stage and becoming the new artistic director of the Australian Ballet. When we spoke, David had just announced that due to COVID, the Australian Ballet won't be performing for the remainder of 2021.
2: For my last year of high school, I wanted to go away to a big kind of professional school. So I said, well, why not try for one of the best and, go and try and go to Paris Opera School? So I auditioned and I got in and I went for the year. And it was a bit of a repeat kind of childhood experience in that they were not nice to me. They, they kind of bullied me a bit. I think because I was, you know, I was this very friendly American and they were very... Unfriendly French, <laughs> and I. But I learned a lot during that year. But I was always my my sights were still set on ABT, so I went back to ABT and auditioned, and I got in.
0: It's really interesting to hear because not only did you travel to Paris and and live in France, obviously. I mean, that's even quite unusual for mm. I imagine a kid who's you know training in Phoenix, Arizona. So I imagine that was.
2: Oh huge. Uh, Oh well listen, I mean, I will out myself and tell you that when I moved to Paris from Phoenix, I bought a year's worth of shampoo, conditioner, and deodorant because I didn't think, I mean, why could you get shampoo and conditioner and deodorant in France, it's Mars. (laughs) And so I came, I came to this country that of course has shampoo and conditioner and deodorant. And um so it was a big deal for me to hop on a plane and leave home and and you know in my luggage have a year's worth of shampoo and conditioner.
0: What took you to Melbourne? Like, how did you know that there's a good physio team at the Australian Ballet? Um, well,
2: I had danced with um, the Australian Ballet before as a guest artist. As well, I had met the head physio who sort of built this whole department. Uh, Sue Mays is her name. And I just knew through experience a bit by just, you know, having some massage or whatever when I came as a, as a guest artist. But as well through the grapevine, I, I heard how how great they were. And I just said, I'm going to buy a one-way ticket. I basically gave them an ultimatum. Now that I think about it, I said, you know, save me or my career is over. <laughs> and so what,
0: you're just calling up David McAllister and being like, I'm coming down. I, I You've called got to up fix David the McAllister.
2: <laughs> yeah, I did. And I said, you know, will you have me? And he said, we'll have you. And I went down and I, I shaved my head shed the skin, got on a plane, didn't know when I was coming back. And wow. 14 months later, they saved me and got me back on stage. Where is your headspace in these two years? Um, very dark, in a very, very dark place. The darkest time of my life. And honestly, it was this reemergence though. It was this rebirth. I just became a person. I became a human. I wasn't this kind of Answer that, pe- that, that I was defined by. And I just worked from the ground up.